is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and an author and executive coach. And today, I welcome Allie Green to the show. Allie is on a mission to liberate teams from the nine to five and teach them how to do their best work anytime and anywhere. Allie, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I am so jazzed about this conversation because remote work is a thing. It's an incredible opportunity for people around the world. And you've been a remote worker for a lot of your career, even before the pandemic. So you have very personal experience, but I want to give a sort of a beginning step uh, here. Tell us how you discovered what works and what doesn't work in remote work and, and why you put this into a book. Yes. So I've been working remotely officially since 2014, but in writing the book, I realized that I had the remote work behaviors and mindset for many years before that. I'm sure we'll dig into that. But what really sparked the the impetus for this book is because I had been doing it for so long in different formats as a consultant, as an executive on a leadership team of a startup while traveling the world full-time, while living in one city. I've had so many versions of what remote work looked like. And a lot of what I learned happened before the rest of the world was doing this. And so it was by experimentation, by trial and error, about really learning what worked for me, that when I finally unlocked those secrets for myself. And and I met a community of people that had done that same work for themselves. I realized that we had a lot of similarities in common, even if the tactics were different. And then something very dramatic happened around the world that made people understand and buy into remote work the past couple of years. And I was really afraid because remote work has given me so much in my personal life that if people couldn't level up their skill set and change their mindset about work, that they wouldn't be able to reap these amazing benefits. And so the goal of the book was really about honoring everything that remote work has given me professionally and personally in my life. and use it as a vehicle for change to give back to workers everywhere, not only from my own lived experiences, but the lived experiences of my co-author, Tam, and all of the experts that we feature in the book. You know, it's interesting because your reference, without saying it, was the pandemic. Something yeah, happened in the world. Of course. <laughs> yes. And, and you're absolutely right. And that just turned everything upside down. But remote work really has revolutionized how we work. And to use your words, it supercharges productivity and blazes a path to work like nirvana. But what I find interesting, Allie, is that so many businesses are having second thoughts. So tell me more about that. Why is that? I think it's so hard right now because it is such a steep learning curve and a learning curve that a lot of people were thrown into when they were dealing with a lot of outside stress and other traumatic events that were really going on in people's lives over the past few years. And so there wasn't really room to experiment and to find what worked for teams, for individuals, for companies. And now there is that lingering fear of, how do I change my behaviors? How do I change and learn these new skill sets for the future of work when I've been so successful as a company so far? And you're now telling me what has worked all these years no longer works anymore. Um, I think there's a lot 
of just acceptance that needs to go into what got you here isn't going to get you there. And things have been changing slowly for a while. And this was just an additional catalyst that is making us realize it's time to level up these skill sets. It is a learning curve. It's a muscle. And we all have to work out our remote work muscles together. I love that you said, look, we've done this. The experiment was almost two years. That's a brilliant case study in real time. And we did. We proved that we could work at home successfully and be productive. And and again, honoring your great work, nearly half of employees around the world continue to demand control over where and when they put in their pay, paid hours. So there is a strong desire. It's really topping the charts in professional values. But let's let's get to the skill sets because this is where you are so helpful. The skill set and the mindset to work remotely are essential. So walk us through, what is remote work fluency? Yes. So remote work fluency is really all about having the right mindset, the right behavioral competencies, and the right skill set in order to work in a digital environment. And so to really break that down in a tactical way, it means changing your communication patterns. So instead of relying on ad hoc bump-ins to people in an office to communicate information, you lead with intentional and slower communication by design or a term that we call asynchronous communication in the remote world. Um, Another skill set that I think is incredibly important is the development of a level of self-awareness. So previously in the working world, we are told as workers, you will be productive, you will be creative, you will be innovative, and you will be intelligent from the hours of nine to five, sitting in an office building in a cubicle. And that's not actually the environment that sets people up to be their most brilliant selves. And so remote work fluency is about having the motivation, the dedication, and the behavioral mindset to experiment and say, actually, um, I've learned about things like chronotypes, and I realized that I'm a night owl, and I get my most creative work done at 9 p.m., And I realized that I thrive working when there's a lot of noise around me, or I really like working with people, or I need to work totally alone in silence in order to be able to focus because otherwise I get really distracted. And so whereas before in the working world, we all conformed around a set of norms, now we're taking back our individuality. Oh, I'm so glad you used the word experiment because I think for all of the leaders that are managing people and companies that are struggling with this, think of it as an experiment, test drive, right? Try, prototype, iterate, and it it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. And again, my happy dance over the term flexibility because it's not about output, it's about outcomes. We don't all have to work the same hours, the same time of day. Exactly, Yeah. So what about communication? Because I struggled with Zoom fatigue during the pandemic because I was literally on Zoom 12 hours a day and it it wreaked havoc on my brain. Oh my gosh, it was exhausting, right? And especially the added layer of socializing on Zoom. I have lived in countries away from my family and friends for most of my adult life. And so I'm quite used to keeping in touch socially and building relationships online. But when you're doubling up on doing it personally and professionally, of course, people were getting tired. And all of a sudden, you know, the media comes out, oh, Zoom fatigue, people, people are looking at themselves on camera, and it's creating all of these disturbances. It's like, well, 
you know, it was kind of a dumb moment for me. And it's because what people were doing is they were copying and pasting the old way of working in an office where you were stuck in the office. So having, having meetings was kind of fun. It was enjoyable to like reconnect, get up from your desk, go into a conference room, have a chit chat about the work and, and then go back and do the work. But when you're, when you're working in a different environment, you want to lean into that flexibility. So you want the freedom to choose where you work, what hours you work, if you're working a nonlinear day. And so having meetings continuously did not work for people. The biggest shift that you can use to communicate effectively and get more done in a remote environment is to lean towards asynchronous communication. And we have this ridiculous acronym in the book that I love because it's super memorable and it's called OLIWAN, which is basically the only lesson you will ever need when it comes to communicating better remotely. And it basically says that you should lean towards asynchronous before calls And in order to be a great communicator, you need to identify who is responsible for communication, what the background and context is, what is expected of people when they respond back to you, when is an appropriate cadence to have this back and forth communication and allow people to set proper boundaries so they have time to think and get the work done and respond intentionally with their message, knowing that this is uncomfortable for people. You need to think about emotions. You need to think about cross-cultural communication and different word choices and not using too much slang and all of these things. And finally, my favorite thing is the want what happens if communication failures exist? Do we escalate it to a call? Maybe, sometimes. Do you move forward in your project without other people's buy-in? Maybe, sometimes. This is where you as a team get really creative in setting agreements with each other on what's going to be appropriate given your communication scenario. Only one. On that note, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code, CDHWORK. Hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. Allie, that's such good advice. The only lesson you will ever need. I love that. So let's dive back because... uh, Another thing that I picked up that I really appreciated and learned from you is that organizations should create a digital house so there's a central place for information and procedures. Tell us more about that. You would think that is obvious, but it's not. 
<laughs> no, so so an interesting thing that happened when people started moving remote is I think people got really into what is the next greatest tool that is going to solve all of our problems. And so people were like, oh yeah, I want to get Zoom. I want to get Slack. I want to get Notion. I need Asana. And, and all of these tools can be great or they can be terrible. It's not about the tool. It's about how you use the tool. And I think the biggest mistake that companies and managers and teams make is not identifying what the goal of the tool is and how you use it. And so the term digital house came up in conversation from a great friend of ours that was involved in the book, Sarah Robertson. And she was explaining um, how at university in orientation week, students know that they can, you know, go to the dorms and that's where they're going to sleep and that's where they're going to connect with friends. They're going to go to class to learn things. They're going to go to the library to study. There's all these physical cues. It also exists in the office. Um, People all of a sudden miss the water cooler, which is news to me. It exists in your home. You know that you're going to cook in your kitchen, you're going to sleep in your bedroom, things of that nature. And so as humans, we're constantly seeking out ways to make decision-making easier for us. And we rely on physical cues to make decision-making easier. What happens in the digital world is we don't have that. And so a digital house is a representation of how you use the tools in your organization. What tools are for socializing at work? What tools are for project management? What tools are for communicating decisions? And the goal of a digital house is to not only explicitly state why you're using each tool, but to create house rules around it. And so you know things, going back to Oliwan, like who's supposed to be participating with that tool, what the response cadence is, and why you're there. And and it provides a way to map out what those cues are since you can't rely on the physical uh, locations as those reminders. Wow, that is the biggest aha moment, the, the house rules, because I get it. Organizations have all the tools, but nobody knows how to use them or nobody understand, I shouldn't say nobody, but rarely <laughs> is there clarity about the house rules. So thank you for making that so accessible. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Okay, assigning tasks. Again, I experienced this in real time. Who's doing what? Who's on first? So why is that detail crucial? That detail is crucial so that you can lean into the three pillars of remote work, which is for me, building trust, respecting autonomy, and then sitting back and like letting people do their work with intentionality when, where, how they want to do it. You can't have that level of freedom and flexibility and allow people room to focus when they want to focus If people are confused about who's responsible for what, if people don't understand how much work is on someone else's plate, they might have subconscious bias that if you're out of sight, out of mind, not in an office that you're not working as hard, it has been shown in a lot of studies that people that are working from home are actually working longer hours because they're not setting proper boundaries to turn off because they want to prove themselves um, because there isn't a way to show I'm accountable for this this is my assigned task and this is how I'm going to get the task done. And so it's been a really big problem with managers then assigning more work or not delegating work out effectively or efficiently. The solution to that, we have a whole chapter about um, the remote blueprint, which is a process that teams can take for projects as small as kicking off a website redesign and as large as do we need to create new team goals and KPIs this year? And it basically 
lays out all of the work that is on everybody's plate, really helps guide you through what work should we be doing and what work is distracting, what work isn't worth it, and then who is responsible for what and how do we communicate that going back to the digital house and the house rules? Where do we show who owns what, like whose bedroom is whose, um, to, to use that example of an actual house, um, so that people know this is what Joe is working on. This is what, you know, Susan's working on. This is what Allie's working on. And that's how you can move forward with really being clear on ownership, even though you're not talking to people every day. So really good segue because I, I experienced this myself, uh, especially during the heart of the pandemic we weren't giving people permission to walk away and say, I'm done for the day. We had this tether, whether it was literal or metaphorical of, oh my gosh, I'm working from home. I have to prove my value. So why is the permission to walk away essential? It's huge. People are burning out. People are getting tired. They're not realizing that they don't need to be always on. We have so much technology available to us, but we're letting the technology own us instead of us using the tool as a technology to make our work and our life easier. And so the permission to step away, the permission to say, this is my end goal of this project. It's going to take me a month. Each week, this is what I'm responsible for. I will give you an update on Monday and Friday about my progress. In between then, let me focus and let me work. It puts the ownership back into the right person's hand, which is the worker. You hired people because of their expertise, because of their skill sets, because of their desire and motivation to get the work done. And then we create all of these constraints that prove that we don't trust them. And so we need to rewrite that. We need to unlearn these behaviors of measuring input, of, you know, assuming that someone who responds the fastest or is working the latest at night is the most dedicated, motivated employee. That employee, to me, doesn't know how to set proper boundaries and will eventually use up all of the the gasoline in their engine and their work quality will suffer and they as a person will suffer. So speaking of burnout, you (laughs) you and Tam write about untraditional ways to spot virtual burnout. And I found this fascinating. Burnout before it rages into an inferno. So tell us more. Yes. So this is something really close to my heart because I've I've been working remotely for so long and I've had different phases as a manager and also as a person as life things happen to me where I didn't always know how to have uncomfortable conversations. And so I, I think step one is really creating that safe space of vulnerability-based trust. And then it's critically important that you get to know people and people assume that means you need to get to know them in person. But what I mean by that is get to know what their norms are. If I'm always chiming on to Zoom meetings one or two minutes early, camera on, smiling and bright and wanting to make small talk before we start the official agenda. And then all of a sudden there's two or three meetings where I'm signing on at the last minute and making up excuses about why my camera is off. And this is something that I did as a remote leader when I was going through a lot of personal challenges in my life um, many years ago. Um, you know, wanting someone to notice, like, why is Allie not joining with her camera on? Like, oh, she has bad Wi-Fi. And it's like, at how many times, like, yes, maybe it's bad Wi-Fi. Maybe you need to really check in on that person. Like, if someone is acting differently than their standard operating behavior of them as a person, then 
it's a red flag. And and that is really hard for managers because all of a sudden you're asking them and you're expecting them to get to know people's digital digital language, digital personality, and remember when they're acting differently than the norm. But it could be things as simple and as nuanced as this person usually uses a lot of emojis in their communication and lately they're not. Um, this person is usually really ahead of the game with with meeting their deadlines and now they're just making their deadlines. All of those are signals that something's going on. Maybe it's burnout, maybe the work's too challenging, but it's a great opportunity to to raise it in a natural setting of your business. So if you have normal one-on-ones, instead of just calling them out of like, hey, you've been weird lately, you can talk about these things in your one-on-one because you already have that as a ritual in your organization for check-ins. So Allie, you and Tam write about the need for managers to unlearn the way it's always been done. And I'm seeing in my executive coaching practice, a lot of trauma and fear and insecurity in these leaders about changing. What wisdom do you have to share with them? What's the baby step they need to try this new concept? One, give yourself permission to make mistakes and fail. It's through those mistakes that you can teach your employees. Um, that's okay. You're human. No one expects a manager to be a robot that all of a sudden got their remote work update programmed into them. Um, once you have that acceptance, have fun with it. If it's scary to completely change everything you do, pick one day a week, maybe a day a week where you know you have limited meetings and try to work differently than you did the week before and take notes. What did you like? What did you not like? What was uncomfortable? Did you feel more successful or less successful? And over time, that one day a week could be pushed to two days a week. So two days a week, three days a week, you can start finding a new routine that works for you and realize it's different than just sitting down and doing your work nine to five, Monday to Friday, because that is your default programming. Oh, I love it. Great wisdom. Allie, I have learned so much from you and your co-author is Tam Sanderson. Let's tell this global audience about how they can buy your awesome new book. And it's called Remote Works, Managing for Freedom, Flexibility, and Focus. And it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. Allie Green, thank you for being a champion for the global workforce. I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I want to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing and what career issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. Find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And I always want to give a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.